0: You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, ChristianHumanist.org.
1: All the girls are complicated. Everyone is precious.
0: Hello, and welcome to episode 85 of the Christian Feminist Podcast. I'm Carla Ewert, and with me today is Christina Bieber-Lake, and we are thrilled to get to interview Helen LaKelley-Hunt. If you're a regular listener to the Christian Feminist Podcast, you likely know a bit about Christina and myself, but we'll take a moment to introduce ourselves and then introduce you to Helen. Christina, welcome.
2: Thank you, Carla. It's good to be back on the show with you. I'm Christina Bieber-Lake. I teach at Wheaton College American Literature. I've been teaching there for almost 20 years, and so I live here in Wheaton with my son, who is an Ang- or my son, my husband, who's an Anglican priest, and we have our son living with us. And um, I know that I was going to be a part of this conversation because I, one of my spiritual midwives is Elizabeth Fox Genovese, whose interests are square on the same page with our guest. So I'm super excited to
0: be a part of this conversation. Excellent, excellent. And I'm Carla. I'm a Minneapolis-based writer and speaker and the founder and director of She Is Called, a national conversation for women who lead with authentic ambition. Besides being a regular regular panelist here on the Christian Feminist Podcast, I hope I excuse me, I host the She Is Called podcast <coughs> and my own personal podcast, the Holy Writ Podcast, which intersects two of my obsessions, books and faith, by asking faith people that all-important question. What are you reading? Um, I live in Minneapolis with my two daughters, and I'm thoroughly enjoying the summer weather right now <laughs> and really excited to get to do this, this interview. Um, Helen, welcome. Uh, we're so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm very,
1: very great honor to be with you.
0: Excellent. So I'm excited to get to introduce you and read a little bit about you. Um, Dr. Helen LaKelley Hunt is a feminist, phila- philanthropist, author, and activist. She grew up in Dallas, Texas, where she graduated from Hockaday School and Southern Mes- Methodist University. She has a master's degree in clinical psychology and a Ph.D. in church history. Helen is the author of Faith and Feminism and, and The Spirit Moved Them, The Lost Radical History of America's First Feminist. She is the founder and president of the Sister Fund, which describes itself as a private women's fund dedicated to the social, political, economic, and spiritual empowerment of women and girls. Helen was installed in the Women's Hall of Fame in Seneca Falls. She and her spouse, Dr. Harville Hendricks, are the co-creators of Imago Relationship Theory and Therapy, which has spread globally through Imago Relationships International, an organization that has trained over 2,500 therapists in over 53 countries. Together, they are committed to the transformation of relationships and to the evolution of a relational culture. They are the authors of three New York Times bestsellers on relationships and six other books. Helen and Harville reside in Dallas, Texas. So, Helen, that's your official bio, but take us a little further back. Tell us about your upbringing and your faith background.
1: Oh, well, being, uh, being raised in Dallas, Texas, my job was to be a Southern Belle and curtsy <laughs> a lot. <Right. laughs> and uh, and uh, my father uh, created... Um, Hunt Oil Company. He won the East Texas oil field in a poker game. Oh my goodness. And uh, he was poor and suddenly uh, was drilling oil. And so um, um, I was suddenly in a family of wealth. And um, my job as a Southern Bell when it was time to get married was not to work for the company but marry someone that would work for the company so I married someone and um, his work at the company turned into a real problem and he had to leave the country I mean yes he had to leave the country and so we divorced Mm -hmm. Uh, but I realized wow I had not worked with my husband close enough to make sure I supported him to be in the company business well And I just totally abdicated money Mm -hmm. to men. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. um, my work uh, in the feminist movement, once I started getting distributions from the company, was to build women's funds. Mm -hmm. So I found myself in feminism because I needed to know more about women and money and women. It was a women's issue. Women should take control of money. And it was really in the feminist world that I began to discover that feminists don't like faith very much. Mm-hmm. They have a real problem <laughs> with people of faith. Right. So there I was. So that's how I began to think about this subject.
0: Yeah. Um, of faith
1: and feminism.
0: Totally. That's so interesting. So. M- you're saying money kind of pulled you into feminism, trying to understand how womanhood and and money work together or don't or haven't. And then that feminism, once you were pulled toward feminism, you realized that that sort of wanted to separate you from your faith. Is that, is that the
1: sort of arc of that? Well, it was sort of, um, if you're a a woman of faith, you probably don't want to be a feminist Mm -hmm. and um, feminists. Didn't know how to include women of faith, and I began to study that issue. And one reason is often that faith institutions are all about: "Hey, ladies, your husband is the head. If you get right. married, he's the, God speaks to your husband. Your husband speaks to you, and you can speak to the kids. Right. <laughs> and yeah. that's yeah. a model of that's a model of marriage and family, right?" And and they also, many church institutions, you know, sort of uh, relegate men to being the agents of the world, and women should stay at home. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was told when I got married, oh, Helen, you're so smart, but really, your job is is in that private sphere, like Mm -hmm. 19th century women. Mm -hmm. You take Mm -hmm. care of your home, and your husband is your voice in the world. So... So, with religious institutions um, you know holding up that paradigm, um, feminists felt like they were countering uh, that that injunction for women and saying, "Hey ladies you all y- you all have your own voice. your husband does not speak for you. What do you want to do in the world right. and and mm-hmm. if you see injustice, you speak about it it 's not about your husband." cleaning up the culture and, and making the culture the way it should be, you get out there and you can make something happen too.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, all of that resonates profoundly for me. My, my upbringing is in a conservative complementarian church that has that structure in place. You know, the man is the, you know, the voice of God, the head of the woman, um, and the woman is to, to be in service to the man. And so, um, All of that resonates so, so clearly. And I think it's, it's interesting that part of what you're saying is, um, feminism sought to free women from that, but in doing so, they attempted to pull them out of faith, right? To say you actually are going to have to break from your faith to have that experience of freedom. Mm -hmm. And what I read in so much of what you're saying is no, actually your faith deeply informs that freedom.
1: Right right mm-hmm. a- a- and it's there was just... and somehow feminist had lost the religious roots of american feminism mm-hmm. that that there were so many ways that faith had inspired and informed the earliest feminists so that's what my life began to be about i while being a feminist i did the best i could do and all i knew was I didn't feel real accepted by the other feminists. They were glad that I knew how to raise money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And they they, lo- they love that part of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when I was first put on the board of the Ms. Institute, and we'd go around for our personal check-in, the Ms. Foundation, everyone would check in on, you know, if they were having problems with their budget or their kids or whatever. Um, and they would say anything that, about their check-in and if i and everyone was interested in everyone else's daily check-in but then if i mentioned there was a verse that was inspiring for me right now mm-hmm. as i was handling this problem or if i mentioned something that was important to me on how i made it through my days and my life everyone would look down they were just embarrassed that mm-hmm. i would bring up a scripture mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. So it's so, I uh, like the academy. It's just like uh, academy yeah, in English, exactly yeah, the same way. You know? Yeah, can I, can I ask you how you got to be friends with Gloria Steinem?
1: Let's see. Well, uh, actually, uh, she she founded the Miss Foundation, so I barely knew her. I will say um, when she heard. I was interested in faith and feminism and wanted to write a book. That's the first time she called me and asked me if she could meet and we met. And she said, please don't do this. <laughs> this is going <laughs> to take <laughs> us back. Yeah. <mad>. yeah. <laughs> wow. She said, this is going to take us back centuries. She said, you do not oh, understand. My. Yeah. And um, and Gloria, uh, like I think Gloria, oh, I don't think, I know Gloria Steinem is a saint. She... She, mm. I admire her to high heaven, she's really the mm. north Star in everything i do um and and she's really changed her position on this. Mm. She's much much smarter than me, and she's really so inspiring in every way but um but this is one area that I think that that she was sort of locked into that typical yes. um perspective mm. that you can't trust uh you can't trust. Uh, faith, women of faith to necessarily really step up to the plate and draw the yes. line about how women should be treated in the culture.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's really very sad, isn't it? Because then it makes it very difficult to have the kinds of conversations that you're encouraging for us to have, right? Mm-hmm. And that was the thing I kept thinking about the entire time I was reading your books, is, you know, you're talking about let's grow our capacity to coexist in a movement with people who think differently from us is the way you put it. Right. And I totally agree with that, but I literally cannot get people who disagree with me to talk to me or even treat me as a feminist because I'm a, a Christian a lot of times. Mm, and so, yes. you know, yeah. how do we do that? I mean, I don't have a lot of money that makes people want to be my friends. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm not saying that's the only reason what's going on before it's I'm just saying I can't get at the table. Um, at all, I had experiences in graduate school that that, that go back exactly to this. I mean, basically, um, the women wow. that I knew in graduate school, you know, they, they excluded me from their sort of group, <clears throat> their study group, as soon as they found out I was a Christian, not even giving me a chance to articulate what that meant to me and where my positions were,
1: right? But just excluded me
2: from, you know, just, and I was working really hard to listen and have exactly the kind of conversation that you are recommending that we have, right? But as soon as I Uh say I'm pro-life, you know, you can't be honest is the way that that was go. What
1: do you think about that? Well, that is not Okay. I mean, there's beautiful. There is there is beautiful things in the pro-life position. There is beautiful things in the pro-choice position. Um, but it's just, uh, yeah. It, it, I just, um, I, I uh, went to the Beijing conference of women. Um, it was in the late '90s, and uh, every five or ten years, the UN put on a conference that would bring women together in the world. And I actually spent that conference doing a survey among feminists around the world. I asked them, I asked them, what is women's relationship um, let's see, women of faith and women who don't express, no feminists of faith and feminists who don't expressly align with a faith organization are these two groups of women the ones that are women of feminist of faith and feminists that don't align with a religious institution are these two women working in partnership or are they working on parallel tracks or are they working against each other mm. and I, I I did this survey and I surveyed a couple hundred women, and not one of them said they're working in partnership. Wow. Wow.
2: Yeah. That's really sad to me. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Because there are so many places of intersection if, um, and I feel like I'm trying for that intersection. I just want to say, I feel like I'm trying for that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not always getting the reciprocal effort. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's almost like, if you don't accept these certain kinds of, um, you know, definitions of what it means to be a feminist, you're out. Take the Women's March, for example, right? Incredibly encouraging um, after the election, right?
1: Right, and, right.
2: I, I heard that there were organizers of that that were actively trying to keep out, right, pro-life feminists from oh, marching.
1: Oh, wow. to say you wow. can't possibly be a
2: feminist, right? It's so discouraging right. to me because oh. I'm with you on the goals that we're trying to be able to work together and say we, we agree for the flourishing of women, you know. I just happen to think that a woman's life starts in the womb, <laughs> you know.
1: Right, uh, right. So. Uh, I just apologize as a, as a feminist. I apologize, Christina, that, that you were being treated that way. Um, when When I did my dissertation at Union Theological, I was looking to do a a dissertation on the religious roots of American feminism and see if I could unearth any, and when the dissertation was finished, I put it in a drawer, and um, a couple years later I pulled it out, and I took it to two places, InterVarsity and the Feminist Press, and InterVarsity liked it, but didn't accept it, but the Feminist Press did, and they said, we will publish this on one condition. I said, what's the condition? They said, Would you publish it as an out Christian? Hmm. I said, What's an out Christian? And they said, Well, would you claim that you're a Christian as you write this book? And I went, Well, yeah. Of <laughs> course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd lo- I'd love to do that. And and they said, We do not have one book for the Christian woman audience. We have Next number is like eight for the Jewish woman. We've got four for the Muslim woman. We've got, you know, we really, with Letty Cotton, pogrebin we've had all sorts of outreach to Jewish feminists. We do not have one thing for the Christian woman audience. So we want I, you to be the I'm first book. Yeah, I'm delighted
2: that they
1: said that. I have to say, I'm surprised. Yeah. Well, Jennifer um Was the head of the feminist press at that time, and she was just awesome. Like, she came and she really helped me get the book written. Both she and my husband, Harville, like, we all sort of had our little hand in this dissertation becoming Mm -hmm. this book. Mm -hmm. But one of the things, like, we had such joy doing it because, um, for those who don't know, the books on a group of women 13 years before Seneca Falls Mm -hmm. that were really the origin of American feminism, the history's gotten lost. And the women of mm-hmm. the Falls are considered the origin of American feminism. So, uh, Feminist Press was thrilled to publish the book because that's one of the things they publish is, is lost history of mm-hmm. feminism. And so, we're having a joy working on this book. And then finally, so my little story um, thank you for giving me this one more yes, sentence or no, I story love this. to tell. I said, look, this book is great, right? And Jennifer said, yes. And Harville said, yes. We love this book. And I said, how many people are actually going to read a book on feminist history in 1837? And they said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, I don't think too many women have time to read (laughs) this history, even though it's really interesting. Why don't we create a red-letter edition Mm -hmm. of this book? And they said, "What do you mean?" And I said, "Well, you don't know, <laughs> have the red letter Bible." I said, "These women were so brilliant. Let's get two or three quotes of these women, and and red letter the r- red letter their quotes, so that anyone can just flip through yes. the book. And if they don't even read my words, that's fine. <laughs> but they ought to read. They ought to read the words of these feminists. Yes. I mean, back then." Yeah they They were so awesome they they were so much more brilliant than almost any woman today that I know. They were so courageous, but they really talked about how God informed their sense of justice mm-hmm. and yes. and that that that, it, it, that their church would say, "I can't speak out against slavery." The government said, "I can't speak out against slavery, but God was telling them. I have to get out of my home and march and protest and speak out of, against slavery because slavery is evil this, and we've got to uh, get rid of slavery. Yes. So this,
0: when I was re- I read um, all of that book um, and the spirit moved them and was, first of all, curious about the red lettering. So I'm super excited to hear the background of that, but also Angelina Grimke, like just became my new hero. I, I just adore her. Yeah. Everything she said all the way through. I just thought, oh my word, because the trick there so often when you grow up in, the, in a world that says, you know, that the male's the head of the household, what you end up believing is that God's voice comes through the male and is male. So it's very hard, I think, to internalize the voice of God and say, no, what I hear internally as a woman in a female voice is the voice of God. And that's what you're describing these women believed, that the, what I know inside of me, I am going to give divine authority. I'm not going to let divine authority sit outside of me anymore. And I think that that's so much right. of the work I do right now with women and the She Is Called work that I do is about is about that, is about giving women permission to believe that that internal voice that they know is, is a divine impetus, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, Is, that's is a reason beautiful. to move toward their own work in the world. Um, and so I, yes. uh, so much of what I read in your work was that, was that moment of, no, you, your female voice, is, is a divine impetus, you know? Um, I was
1: grateful yes. for it. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Work, yes, so we all right, have too. that voice. Right. Yeah, we have that voice inside of us. We just need to take time to listen and cultivate Mm -hmm. through prayer, Mm -hmm. through meditation, through, to, you know, it's a practice to learn to listen to the within. Right. Mm -hmm. And I hear how God is speaking to you and how the Holy Spirit is directing you.
0: Right. And for me, like I, I, in grad school, I had this moment where I realized, I mean, I grew up, like I said, in a male led culture. And I got to grad school, secular grad school, studying English and and realized that when I was doing my research, I would actually check and see if it was a man or a woman who had written a piece and more highly value the pieces written by men, and was more likely to use them in my bibliography, even though I was I was writing about women's issues. And it finally hit wow. me that I was doing that. And I thought I've been trained, oh, wow. I've been trained out of oh. believing the voice of women. And I had to oh. switch that in my head and make a conscious like, choice about no, I'm 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 not going to do that. I'm not going to overvalue the male voice. But it took me so long to just remove Ooh. the male tenor off of the voice of God. Um and, and give oh. it my own internal
1: sound, you know? So wow. That is so interesting wow thank you for being so vulnerable (laughs) and and sharing that did you
0: did you have a sense of that ever in your upbringing that you had that moment of like shift from i'm the southern belle who will marry the man who can work in the oil industry to oh no i'm the person with the thing to do was there like a conscious shift there for you at a certain point
1: um uh well i just felt real shamed that uh that uh, I had advocated, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, making sure uh, my voice at the company wasn't, um, you know, wasn't handled better in a way that reflected my value system. Um, I don't, I don't, I I couldn't make it. I mean, I have an answer, but there might be another question that's more interesting.
0: (laughs) Sure. Sure. I would really love to know. Um, Let's see, like, you, you talk a lot about faith and feminism in your in the book Faith and Feminism, and I'm really curious, like, what do you feel like as you hold both of these things, as you hold your faith and your feminism, how do they inform each other, and what's sort of the, the place where they overlap that you feel like they, they gain the most richness from each other?
1: Okay, but that's a, a great question when I answer that question, I'm going to go back and answer the one you just asked Great. in terms of when was the first time I felt like I should step out in the world? I sort love of. that, yes. When, when, yes. My, when my ex-husband went to work for the company, what I did was um, uh, I was of the era that women uh, either became a teacher or a secretary, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that was the career options, and I decided I wanted to be a teacher. Uh, high school teacher and of the public schools because I'd been raised in a mansion and went to an all-girls school and I was just in this bubble and I knew I was separated from my human family. Mm. And long story short, the job I got was the teaching uh, junior and senior English at the poverty school in Dallas. Mm. I had done my student teaching in a, a wealthy neighborhood public school for I had a complete set of anthologies, good teacher's aids, and then suddenly my real, where I got my paycheck was in this poverty area of Dallas, and it was so different. The same public school mm-hmm. system. I had no anthologies. The mm-hmm. classrooms were dirty. I had no teacher's aids. They didn't pick up the trash around the school. Parents didn't come to the parent-teacher conference. They were at night, and the street lamps were broken, and that radicalized me, and I thought, Mm -hmm. the same tax money, this isn't fair, the way they're treating the schools that serve the African-American, Latina, poor population, and it was my church that said that Jesus walked with the poor, Mm -hmm. and so I suddenly thought, my job is to walk with the poor and the marginalized, Mm -hmm. and and not all women were poor, but they're treated with pa- pa- in a pa- pa- pitiful pa- way that makes them poor intellectually. They aren't. I, I, I mm-hmm. went and studied um, universities. Well, of course, women couldn't even go to universities in the, in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. But even in like, the 1930s, women were not allowed on the steps of the library at Harvard University. Mm-hmm. Not only could you not go to Harvard, you were not allowed mm-hmm. to be on the steps of the library. Men mm-hmm. were so afraid unconsciously that women might get close to power, the power mm-hmm. of knowledge. Mm-hmm. So we were just really excluded from even knowing stuff and being able to get degrees where we got better jobs. So anyway, mm-hmm. I so but I felt a real longing to work, walk with the marginalized, and that included people of color, but also women, uh, our second-class status, and mm-hmm. um, so I guess that's an answer to why my faith yeah. became so important to me, mm-hmm. um, that, that, that that's what Jesus, uh, I, I was raised a Christian, and that's who Christians spent their time with, mm-hmm. the, the marginalized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, I really appreciate, it. I just want to say um, publicly, the work that you're doing and it, with regard to finances, because very often, especially Christian feminists, forget that the economic piece is essential for uh, elevating the status of women and bringing us to greater equality, you know. Um, and it's kind of easy for us to forget that. We're, of course, all about prayer and all about, you know, changing people's inward convictions, but we really need some money from this effort as well. So um, I appreciate the, the issues of stewardship that your life represents, so I wanted to thank you for that.
1: Oh well it's been an honor to work with the women's funding network and the proliferation of women's funds around the world
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's great it's mm-hmm. good work
0: yeah you you write about in the at the beginning in the i think in the uh introduction for and, and the spirit moved them you write about that about your philanthropic work and how it was so difficult to get women to write large checks to women's issues like they would write mm-hmm. larger checks to i don't know care for animals than they would then they would write to women's issues and so part of your work has been speaking out about the necessity of women supporting women financially and um, i'm just i'm curious about that have you have you felt it sounded like in that introduction that that work evolved quickly that women once they once there was that permission, they did start to act and start to want to support one
1: another. Has that been your experience? Yes, yes, early on well and i when I was studying nineteenth century American feminism, mm-hmm. the rise of American feminism, I came across a letter one day of um uh, Matilda Jocelyn Gage writing Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Mm. And she said, my dear Elizabeth. And Elizabeth Cady Stanton was Susan B. Anthony's number two. They were the big duo that um, birthed American feminism. And um, But Gage wrote Stanton and said, my dearest Elizabeth, I'm just so devastated. This morning I read in the paper another woman who's no- made another bequest to the symphony. Mm. Why don't they understand the importance of suffrage? Yeah. Why mm-hmm. do they fund their husband's alma maters, religious institutions where they have no voice, and the symphony, and they fail to fund the cause that underlies all others in importance, mm-hmm. women's suffrage? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's every woman having a right to, for to have a voice in their culture. Mm-hmm. So that was my first flew that the reason it took so long for women to get suffrage was that the women weren't funding the suffrage movement. And Mm -hmm. then I saw women begin to fund women's foundations, and I thought, well, is this the first time in history women have ever funded their own advancement? Mm. And I called a woman who studies philanthropy um, at the City University of New York, and she's at the Center for the Study of Philanthropy, and I said, hey, is this the first time that we can say women have funded their own advancement? And um, she said, I'll call you back, and because I told her the story of, you know, the letter, the 19th century letter, and women not funding suffrage. She called back and she said, women have funded religious institutions, monasteries, libraries for centuries, I can't find anywhere they've funded their own advancement. So we really talked uh, then within Women's Funds about women are making history. This is the first time we've funded Mm -hmm. our own voice and getting our voice, our values, and our vision out into the world. Mm. And people began to flock to that idea that hey, we're making history. Right. That, that's mm-hmm. right. The big bold check, not not to the symphony, but to that the center for domestic violence. Right. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: That's incredible. It, it is um, just so core, I think, to in in our capitalist society that that values so much financially. Like if there's not a financial mm-hmm. value to it, we struggle to see its value. So um, for women to learn to even as we're counteracting that system to figure out how to also say, and we can play, <laughs> you know what I mean? Is, is just is yes. fascinating, you know?
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think the 2016 election, I'm just curious about your opinion about that. Um,
1: what, how much did misogyny have to do with the outcome of that? Yeah, I'm not really wise enough to comment. I would think an awful lot i but I, no, I would and, think well, you want to say more about that then no i just I'm just curious because you know
2: since Trump has been elected and we've seen kind of i mean we, there's always been racism, but it's kind of come out of the closet if if you will um kind of been uh, allowed and imprimatur or whatever and i I feel like something happened when Hillary Clinton was a serious candidate for the presidency that also brought out a little bit of that misogyny from certain sectors. Um and I feel yeah. like that that did have an inc- an impact and, and that just so disturbed me, you know, to see that kind of emotion. And I read a really interesting article in the Atlantic about it. <laughs> Excuse me. And uh yeah. I I thought I thought haven't we ever haven't we gotten over that centuries long practice of shaming women for being women, right? Mm-hmm. Um It really, yeah. There, yeah. And you talked about that, how that happened in the 19th century, for, you know, the people protesting them just because they're gathering together and meeting and trying to have a voice, you know? Right. It, it just seems like we haven't gone all that far from there in some ways. It's kind of funny.
1: Right. 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 Uh, well, I respect so much your passion and intellect, Christina. I mean, both of you have said such interesting things, but... If you're ever on a podcast, I'll come and answer you, ask you questions. I'd love to hear. hear. I
0: love it. I think think part of what you're saying there, Christina, is so interesting in light of the work Helen does, because I think that election, um, you know, there were a lot of evangelical, particularly women, who voted for Donald Trump. Um, and and yeah. it's, the, it's that, that sector of women that I'm super curious about, because what that means to me is they are still believing that the voice of God is male. There's still a sense of, yeah. of disempowerment there, where they genuinely do see themselves as the second sex. They see themselves as something less than a male uh, persona. So, And I know there were deep issues, political issues as well, but I was just deep deeply concerned by um, someone who was so out and out abusive and misogynist that yeah. so many women yeah. voted for him and and those women most yeah. of them were evangelical women so that means yeah. to me very much that evangelicalism is continuing to hold its complementarian ideal and women are, are engaged in it and with it so it's it's yeah. those women when i white women right yes yes white women and so much evangelicalism is still so segregated, but I think um, yeah. I think that when I read back to the writing you've done, Helen, about these feminists in the 1830s, and they are um, they're they're so convinced of their right to be the voice of God and, and that they they will work against those moments. And I just, I feel like we almost, you're trying to pull back together faith and feminism is almost like another invitation to this group of women who are convinced mm-hmm. of their less than-ness to say, wait, 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 there have been women speaking this, your worth and your contribution for, you know, centuries now, join, join us, <laughs> you know what I mean? So.
1: Right. I, Right. You're absolutely right. Uh, There have been feminists throughout the centuries, but they haven't been called feminists. Right. And uh, so so I'll share something that I found inspiring um, that I don't think I've ever written about. But, um, yeah, I've never written about this, but this to me is an example of the religious roots of American feminism so again for for the listeners who don't know um elizabeth caddy stanton was um the chair of seneca falls and eventually susan b anthony joined with her and the two of them are credited at 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 being the, the 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 mothers of american feminism and um elizabeth and her husband got on a ship and went to london to an anti-slavery, a world anti-slavery meeting in London because they were also against slavery. And um, they, they went over and there was a two-day meeting in London. And a cluster and of women, of it, the, the women were, there was a cluster of women and the whole first day of the two-day convention was taken with the question were women allowed to speak mm-hmm. uh i it, was struck a by that part of your book That's, his book. That's his and book. and w- could they attend at all could they be there and yeah. the decision was that they could sit in the balcony behind a curtain and they could listen but they couldn't talk so i mean so there elizabeth went up there the second day sitting with these other women and uh frederick douglas no no um Uh, uh, William Lord Garrison went up a a man and sat in solidarity with women. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, so Elizabeth Kenny Stanton and her husband were just furious um, uh, as were the other women. And Elizabeth and her husband spent another couple weeks in Europe before going back to the United States. And I don't think I've written about this part. What inspired Elizabeth was visiting France and um, England were monasteries for women where there was the, what do you call the head woman at a monastery, the Mother Superior? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess mm-hmm. that name itself, in and of itself, was sort of inspiring yeah. the <laughs> Mother Superior. And she saw women wielding financial clout. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, these were There was a lot of money in these financial, um, in these monasteries, they they had a budget, they had staff, these women would organize the staff team, they would manage the staff, they, you know, they were, they they wielded power Mm -hmm. as a head of of a financial institution, and nothing like that was going on in the United States, and that was one of the things that told Elizabeth Cady Stanton, women have the same ability to succeed at running a business because of these monk, monast- uh, the monastery sisters mm-hmm. who were yeah. who were the head of these mm-hmm. um, uh, institutions for women,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the nuns, mm-hmm. and they did work in the world, story. and they yeah. You know,
2: I, I love the part where William Wood Garrison gets up and, and sits uh, up in that area. Uh, that I love that part of that story. Too. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, it's like these these little gestures really do mean a lot. And you wrote a lot about how uh, these women were crossing racial boundaries quite significantly, in mm-hmm. um, and, and that this was a, a huge um, symbolic, if not you know, just making friends gesture. You know, mm-hmm. that uh, that a lot of people were, were really bothered by. And and in fact, I, that's what I love about your research overall is that it's an insistence that these early Christian women were not only pro-women, but many of them were also very much pro, you know, uh, not only anti-slavery, but, you know, pro-race reconciliation. And uh, we've lost some of that as well. Um, Marilyn Robinson, you know, she recently came to our campus, and she's very interested in history of the Midwest from the 19th century, because so many of the Midwestern colleges (laughs) were very pro-race reconciliation and... Bring You know, Wheaton College has a history, at, at one time had more black students than Oberlin did, and we lost that, you know? Uh, wow. And so, it, it's just like the need wow. to recover that part of the story of Christianity is so great um, in this day and age as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a beautiful point. Yeah. And, I and part of I the didn't... Underground
2: Railroad. Yeah. We call yes. Part of the Underground Railroad, so... Yes, and nowadays, yes. and now we struggle with diversity, you know, because we we let go of that leadership in that area, um, and 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 as a as a whole, the church has you know abdicated leadership mm-hmm. in in the race reconciliation right. area as well as um, feminism. So mm-hmm. right. that's just sad to right. me because that's our legacy. That's our legacy, isn't it? Right, to really be right. pro women. And, and I love how Grimke just rips them on the scripture, the slaveholders on the scripture. Mm-hmm. You have that part in your book where she says, but the scripture that Jesus says is more superior than <laughs> this one <laughs> where, you know, love others as you would like to be loved yourself, treat others as you would like to be treated yourself. is that more important than this little passage that talks about slaves, you know, and slave owners? <laughs> I love that part. That was great.
1: Mm-hmm. Right,
2: right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, you know, that and that's that's why this lost history uh is important uh, mm-hmm. to come out because at the beginning of American feminism it was black and white women linked arm in arms. It was mm-hmm. uh African American women were leaders, not just, you know, they it was a movement with Liberty Mm -hmm. for All, it's not a movement in behalf of the poverty of the slave only. Mm -hmm. It was like, Mm -hmm. yes, yes, um, African American women were oppressed in the South, but let's make them the leaders that they are um, Mm -hmm. as anti-slavery women. Let's take pains to make sure it's all of us speaking out Mm -hmm. against slavery. And that was very different in the suffrage movement because that movement was primarily all white women.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we, mm-hmm. we lost, the feminism mm-hmm. lost that early commitment to um, making sure that um, the struggling person had a voice and mm-hmm. was leading the activism in behalf of the struggling person, right. that the mm-hmm. struggling person wasn't just being fixed, but the struggling person was a part of the solution. Yes. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm.
2: And it's so interesting, isn't it? Because this is first wave feminism with a third wave inflection to it that got, you know, Lost. kicked out of it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. You know, we wouldn't have had to go through the three waves. It would have been the third wave <laughs> from the start. Mm-hmm. It's nice to dream that, how things could have been a little bit different if they had just gone
1: more that direction. Oh, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Excellent point.
0: You're you're writing on the anti-37 or sorry the 1837 anti-slavery convention is what we're referring to, and that's all in the book. Um, and the spirit moved them, and and you do review so beautifully how um, black women and white women worked together to to create and to lead that convention, and then how when they were threatened mm-hmm. by uh, protesters, that they did walk out arm in arm mm-hmm. together and show solidarity. And so much of that, like you're saying, Christina, mm-hmm. was like. Um, it was a movement for the sake of and and led by you know women and people of color both recognizing a mutual oppression um, and and advocating for one another and um, I just. Uh, yeah i agree that somewhere in there we we lost all that and when you write about seneca falls and how at a certain point like even the male um abolitionists started to ask the female abolitionists not to talk about women's rights and then when when seneca falls happened they sort of they dropped the the racial rights and um you know they decided at a certain at certain points in this that one issue was more important than the other rather than that our Mm -hmm. deep humanity and connectedness was the point um and that it's interesting to me how we do that, how we can kind of um pick an issue, and rather than recognize the connectedness of the issues, we try to just advocate for the one at the expense of others um,
2: mm-hmm. yeah and mm. it's very it's a very complicated question though, isn't it? because um for instance, take my earlier comment about being pro-life, I'm pro-life for the very same reasons that I'm a feminist, mm-hmm. right. And so for me, I'd like to link those two together, but that's not acceptable mm. to other people in the movement. And so mm. you can't really wow. move forward, and, and, you know? And so I wonder how possible it would have been for them to move forward if they weren't able at that point or forced, in a sense, to kind of separate the issues. I, you know, I'm mm. just thinking yeah. aloud here. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious about, about this because we have the hindsight, right? The hindsight is twenty twenty, 20 right? We, we can look back and say, well, of course, Slavery was wrong, and this, you know, but at the time, there were a lot of people who didn't think that, you know, right? Quite frankly, right. and and so I always wonder what issues are we facing now that a hundred years from now we're going to look back on and go, that was so obvious. Why didn't everybody think that? And, and mm-hmm. it, it's impossible to know what those issues are going to be. You know, I have the things that I wish it were. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But I, I, I found myself reading your book and and just longing for that to be, to be, have that clear of an issue, you Mm -hmm. know, and I think we have some, and so that's one of my questions for you, Helen, what are our clear priorities as feminists, you know, in today's world? I think there are some issues like third world poverty and the way that women are treated in, you know, certain countries around the world, right? I think that's a priority. What are some other priorities for feminists that you think we could all agree on that we could build common ground?
1: Um, well, I really like what Carla said earlier. Is the woman needs to go inside mm-hmm. a- and see what God is calling her to do,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and Good. really follow um, um, the the directive she's receiving from the Holy Spirit. Um, and I I don't feel like I'm the best person to lift up other topics
0: mm-hmm. either
1: because I haven't studied that as well mm-hmm. so would you like to share what you think you and Carla <laughs> what do <y'all laughs> are <there>? well, Carla, <laughs> you all think yeah you have I mean one? I
0: can speak to what, what I feel like I'll talk about my own sort of what I consider my calling or the the sort of moment where I am in terms of my passions. And that is to, to speak into women of who are from faith contexts, whether or not they're still in their faith contexts, typically Christian is where I work, but that who, who do still believe that they are, um, subservient who do still believe that their voice mm-hmm. isn't par- isn't valued. My, my goal right now is to just constantly be in conversation with them and saying again mm-hmm. and again and again that no, you are called you have a voice inside. That's where you hear the thing that you want to do. That's where you can start to follow your your own curiosity and your own ambition. And that ambition is not problematic. That is actually your presence in the world. That's you being present. So I, I you know, run events and podcasts and conversations in order to invite women who have typically believed that their ambitions were to be let go of, because that's what happens often Mm -hmm. in a faith context, to say to them again, no, your ambition is core and key to us, to to the world improving, (laughs) to the world being whole. And so so that, Mm -hmm. for me, what I feel like right now in terms of feminism is actually speaking to women who are in faith contexts, who exclude themselves from feminism, drawing that back Mm -hmm. together, drawing that back together and saying, no, you as a faith person Mm. have ambition and that ambition is your calling from God. Um, and just continuing to invite them into that. I think that could transform things like the 2016 election. I think that could make women say to themselves, Oh no, actually I get to have a whole presence in the world. I don't have to abdicate that to use your word, Helen, again and again, I can hold my space. I can do that. And I think that Mm -hmm. will improve our politics and lots of different things. So that's where I see feminism mm-hmm. needing to evolve in America, um, that we actually are still, in so many ways, such a Christian culture and an evangelical culture. And that is, is shaping our politics and things that I feel is not for the common good very often. Um, so that, that is what I would say I see feminism needing to do. That's
1: beautiful. <laughs> That's really, really beautiful. Thanks, Ellen. I appreciate that. I totally, I totally agree. Thank you and and, and every, everyone having human dignity yes like we, mm-hmm. every single person on the planet they have their calling mm-hmm. and 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 they have the right to to find their calling and make mm-hmm. their contribution to the world and each mm-hmm. one each one, um, deserves to be treated in a dignified way I think Mm -hmm. can you can you talk about because I was that
0: was one thing as I was reading your work and reading about your work with your spouse like I was really I really admired you talk a lot about connectedness and the human sort of universal and um I was curious about that because I, I that's how I feel the world and believe the world, but my my background would tell me otherwise. My Christian background would tell me otherwise, that there are those of us who are called apart, and we're different, and we're supposed to be sanctified, and, and it it sort of works against the idea of universal connectedness, um, but that seems to be a really core value for you. Can you talk about that a little bit? Is that informed by your
1: faith, or does it feel
0: separate from yeah. it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is a great topic to end on, mm-hmm. uh, which is like how, the beginning of everything. Right. Like, what was the beginning mm-hmm. of yeah. creation? Yeah. What, yeah. What, what, what 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 gave birth to this universe? And um, yeah. at one time, Newtonian physics was all about everything, you know, we look like a big glob of stuff, but we really can be reduced to a particle. And the particle as a molecule and electron and da-da-da, like mm-hmm. years ago we were taught about uh, with enough particles, objects are made and da-da-da-da-da, and, um, and and the universe was made up of a lot of little particles. But then the quantum theory emerged, and the quantum theory is um, like there's a particle wave duality. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes things are a particle, and sometimes there's a wave, and the world is really made up of energy and, and quantum, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and part of the characteristic of the quantum field is duality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and nature, all of nature, there's up and down, there's in and out, there's high and low, there's hot and cold, like everything. And so for everything that there is, there's its opposite. And the whole mm-hmm. point is to for those opposites to have a, a relationship with each other, where they swing back and forth, being hot and cold, and da-da-da-da. And every person in the whole planet is drawn to be with one other person in a special way. And uh, it's called marriage. <laughs> <laughs> and marriage, oh my goodness, you love that person because they're so different. But then you get married and you think, oh, why aren't they more like me? <laughs> you know, the, the energized person sort of loves the stability of the contained person and they can find their car keys and they can fix the boiler and that's great. But then then you get married and they don't talk enough and they aren't lively enough and then the you know, and the other contained person goes, Gosh, my my partner's just talking all the time. They take over, they have all the emotional you know, and and we have to learn to understand um that that um you know difference is a key characteristic of the universe mm-hmm. and uh, everything is different look at all the colors look at all the flowers look at all the stars in the sky like all the designs are different and yet there are these enormous gravitational pulls that are holding up all the planets they keep everything in this great big cosmic dance I mean there's something so awesome in the universe and I'm not being very articulate right now but I think women and feminism and faith-based femi- feminism we uh, we look at at the universal way that every everything is a part of the universe mm-hmm. everything has a role and one isn't better than the other. Right. Everything is necessary. Right. That's how we are then in humanity. Mm-hmm. All of us are important. All of us have a role. And, and we need to be curious about each other. Mm-hmm. A main way mm-hmm. to get through life that Harville and I talk about is mo- moving from judgment to curiosity. Yes. Don't go through mm-hmm. life judging other people. Get curious about why they are The way they are, why they think Mm -hmm. the way they think, why they feel the way they feel, and just sort of go through life with more curiosity and wonder. Yeah, I love the way and that. This might be my closing comment. I love the way that in in the in the Hebrew Scriptures, when the Israelites were wandering in the desert, they stopped twice a day to quote lift up their eyes unto the hills from which cometh from their. Their help, their help cometh from the Lord. And they asked God to direct them for them to have manna so they could eat the next day. But they practiced lifting their eyes to their hills and wondering and praising God, even though they didn't know, they didn't have homes, they didn't have a map of where they were going, They, they hadn't gotten to the promised land yet, and they wondered and wondered and wondered in the wilderness. Well, today there are no Phoenicians, there are no Babylonians, but the Jewish people are alive on the planet still with this wonder, this practice of wonder. And I think that's a wonderful way to live life, mm-hmm. is shifting mm-hmm. from judgment to curiosity mm-hmm. about other people.
0: Yeah, I love that so well, much. Love it. Yeah, I think it's a great place to leave it. Um, pull the competition out and be with one another in the way you talked about it in your books. Um, I love that. Thank you so much, Helen, for being with us today. Uh, Thank you, Christina, for paneling this with me. I've enjoyed it so much. Thank you. You
1: too. Oh, this has been great joy for me. Thank (laughs) you for having me on.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a topic or reading recommendations for future shows, or if you just want to drop us a line, you can do so at christianfeministpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page and check out the show notes from this and our our other episodes at the Christian Humanist blog at christianhumanist.org. The Christian Feminist Podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Kristen Philippic is our press liaison. Ellen Peterson is our intern. For Christina Bieber-Lake and Helen LaKelley-Hunt, I'm Carla Ewart. Tune in in two weeks when we'll discuss white women and the Black Lives Matter movement. Until then, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things love.